Well, good morning, everyone. My name is John DeSico, and I'm the, the pastor here at Snells Beach Baptist Church. Um, this morning, we are we're, we are continuing in a, a short series that we are we are doing on the early church. As we are, you know, in this in this circumstance we find ourselves in, we're required to meet in kind of different ways. We we wanted to look at at what the church really is, what the what the basics of the church. Are the the DNA that that defines a church, and so we looked a few weeks back at um, a verse from the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is just a, a history of, of the very earliest church, and when we looked at this verse, uh, Acts chapter two, verse forty-two, and this verse says that uh, the believers, those who believed the message of the uh, apostles, they they devoted themselves, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And so we looked uh, last week at, at uh, the first of these four marks, at why God chooses and uses preaching for the nourishment of his church and for the, the um, expansion of his gospel. This week we, we turn to the, the second of these marks, and this is the, um, the, the, what, what Luke calls the fellowship. So our, our scripture for today is, again, in this first section of the book of Acts. Uh, and, and Acts comes after the Gospel of John, if you're looking for it, and just before the letters of the New Testament. Um, and so we're, we're reading from the, the very end of Acts chapter 4. So Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. And I'll be reading out of uh, the, the English Standard Version. But you can follow along in, in whatever version you prefer to read. So this is Acts chapter 4. Verses 32 through 37. Hear the word of the Lord today. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and they, and they brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any has had need. And thus a man named Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he was uh, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is God's word. When we, when we set the stage for this series a few weeks ago, we, we talked about the four things that the disciples, these, these new believers, the, the very earliest church, what they devoted themselves to. And like we said earlier in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says that the people devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Well, in our, our introductory message, we, we talked about the word for fellowship, this word in Greek, koinonia. And koinonia, or fellowship, it, it describes the relationship between people who have a common interest. And this common interest is, is so strong that, that koinonia describes more than just you know, two people who have the same hobby, but instead two people who are committed to the same Goal. This is the kind of relationship um, that's that's like marriage. That's like people on a sports team, not just like two people who both like to watch trains or two people who are out 
fishing or two people who are painting the same sunset. This is, this is a, a deep fellowship, communion. And the English word fellowship is a really good translation of this word koinonia, or fellowship. Another word that we saw that was related to this word, we read in our text today. And this is the reason I chose this text to kind of explain what Luke means by fellowship. And we, we see this word where Luke says that no one said that anything that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. They, they had everything in common. The word for common in Greek is, is koinos, which is the, the act of sharing or, or having things that are common. Um, and this, this act of having things in common, koinos, or sharing, is, is closely connected to the idea of fellowship with one another, koinonia. You can kind of hear the connection, koinos, koinonia. And both of these require commitment. Both involve relationships. Both keep their eyes fixed on a common purpose while strengthening the others that are alongside them in order to reach this goal. And it is, it is this commitment to one another that makes the early church so attractive to so many people. It's, it's really hard to read um, this, this kind of text today and not want to see something like that in our community. And, and we should want to see something like this in our community. But we, we have to ask the question first, what did this fellowship look like? And then how did it happen? So first, what and then how? What, what was the fruit of this kind of fellowship that they had, this koinonia that they had that, that bound them together? What was the fruit and what is the, the fuel? So what exactly did this fellowship look like? Well, Luke describes for us in a few places what this looks like. The sense of community was, was so strong that um, no one said that any of his possessions was his own. Instead, they shared everything. They, they shared everything. They had everything in common is what most translations have. Well, this, this early community of believers achieved something that the world has, has never been able to do. The early church had no needy people. No one was in need of food. There was no one without a roof over their heads. This is because whenever a, a need rose up in the community, whenever so, someone else saw someone who was in need, all of the individuals in the community would rush and voluntarily fill this need. And this, this kind of community wasn't achieved by man's strength. This wasn't made made possible by people attempting to set up some kind of system. The, the care and attention that, that we see in this community that is given to those people in need is given freely. Luke doesn't tell us that there were no needy because no one had any concept of personal possessions. He, he says instead that, that this sense of unity was so strong that even personal possessions were freely given to those in need. And this is what happens when, when we as individuals understand the, the fellowship, the, the koinonia that exists between us as believers because of our identity in Christ. This fellowship we have exists because of what we have in common, which is a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't, you can't expect to, for a whole community to have everything in common unless they have this one thing in common. In the letter of, of 1 John, which we looked at a little while ago, the, this beloved apostle, he, he writes that the gospel is proclaimed so that you may also have fellowship with us, koinonia. And, and our very fellowship is with the Father 
and with his son, Jesus Christ. So we have fellowship with God, and because we all have that relationship with him, if we, if we trust in him, we have a relationship with one another. And so be, between believers, there is this bond that we've said is, is thicker than blood. This bond is, is stronger than family because we are each united to God. And because we are united to God, we are united to one another. The picture that, that we have in the early church in our text today is simply a, a, a physical reflection of this reality. You know, the, the fellowship we see when, when two believers share a meal, when, when the needy are given food or shelter or a job from another believer, this is, this is simply an expression of, of the already existing, the, the, the already there spiritual fellowship between believers. And these early believers shared everything they possessed because they all shared in the possession of the most important thing, fellowship with God. There can be no true and lasting fellowship between us if there is no true and lasting fellowship with God. So the, the fellowship that we see here is really uh, the fruit of, of a different fellowship, fellowship with God. And the, it is the effect of our relationship with him. In, in the early church, we, we see a picture of human fellowship that we should strive for. We should strive for this picture. We should seek to see this effect in our church and to see the fruit of fellowship in our communities. But there is, there is great danger here. Because if, if we only seek the fruit of fellowship without filling up first on, on the fuel that actually produces this, we will fail. You know, if, if, we, if we seek the effect and, and do not consider where the energy for this even comes from, we will find ourselves too weak to do this. If we try to just imitate the picture of this church without first receiving the power that makes it possible, we will only create another religious structure that defines success and faithfulness in all of the wrong ways. If we want the effect, we must first have the energy. If we want to reflect this picture, we must first live with this same power. There can be no true fruit of fellowship in our communities without having first the fuel of fellowship between each one of us and God himself. One preacher who has influenced me a, a great deal likes to say that there's a difference between manufacturing the Christian life and manifesting the life of Christ. There's a, there's a difference between manufacturing the, the Christian life, which is the, the fruit of our relationship with God, or um, manifesting the life of Christ. And then this life of Christ is, is the fuel. It's, it's what's in us and drives us to actually produce these things. This early Christian community is, is in many ways an, an ideal, a, a perfect community. Everyone could see it, even those outside of the church, because the life of Christ was put on such a display that the fruit of their fellowship with God was so manifest in their lives together that our, our scripture says that a, a great blessing was upon them all. Another way we could translate this, this, this word blessing is with the word favor, and that's actually how it's translated back in chapter 2 where Luke says that great favor was upon all of the believers. So this is, this is how I 
am taking that, that word here, that, that because of this unity and community and this, this sense of, of togetherness that they had, the, the koinonia, the fellowship that was expressed, they had great favor with everyone because of the way that they looked after one another. And this, this kind of community is something that our world longs for. This, this community, this society of, of fairness where everyone is looked after, there are no poor, no needy people. This kind of sharing community is, is not, you know, a, a recent thought from, you know, 200 years ago. Karl Marx is really only the father of, of modern political communism or, or, or socialism. These ideas of, of shared possessions goes back even as far as writers um, and poets like Homer and, and Aristotle. This kind of community is, is attempted in, in so many different ways, even before the times of, of Jesus. It's something the world wants. And they, they, they came to this in different ways. You know, ancient philosophers said that, that mankind should reflect the natural world by, by recognizing that all of nature is a gift and, and doesn't actually belong to any one of us, and so we should share in nature together. But this kind of selfless community cannot be created through philosophy alone. Other communities, they, they created laws, and, and they established like a, a common pool of goods or resources that belonged to everybody. And this pool was protected by the laws and the constitution of this community. But, but laws can't make people share with, with love and with care. And so this, this eventually breaks down. Other groups still, they, they, they planned out um, this kind of sharing within the economy of the community, the way that, that goods were, were traded back and forth. So one island in, in ancient Greece divided itself in, into two main groups, into farmers who provided food and, and fighters who would protect the village from pirates. So whether food or protection, both of these were kind of shared and traded among one another. But again, this kind of community isn't just about how we set up our economy. The Greeks, like, like many today, they tried over and over and over to create a fair community where the people shared what they had with one another. And they tried to establish this, like we saw, through, through philosophy, through law, and through economy. But none of these systems lasted. They all failed. The problem with these systems, like everything in this world, is, is that they have the fingerprint of humanity all over them. Even the, the Greek philosophers understood this. This isn't just a, a Christian concept. They, these philosophers saw a, a pattern in nature that they thought reflected God, and, and they didn't see this pattern in human life. That's why they sought this community. So how did the, this early church, made up of people from all over the ancient world, manage to live in such a way, with such true fellowship, with such real sharing, that, that great favor was upon all of them? What would it take for our community to stand out in this way? To, to stand out so that even those who, who deny the existence of God, but who live around us, could look at us with envy at how well we love and look after one another. We see what it takes in, in the story of the early church, and it's something we mentioned just a few weeks ago when we, when we reflected in Acts chapter 2 on, on the heart of revival. We touched on it earlier today when, when we talked about the, the fuel or, or the energy, the, the power for this community. The reason humans haven't been able to do this on their own is because this fellowship, this community, comes from God. It actually re reflects our God who, 
who, as Christians, we confess is, is three persons in one, perfect unity with one another. There is diversity, but there is unity. It's, it's paradoxical, and, and we can't fully grasp it. But, but we are called to reflect it nevertheless, even though we can't understand it. You know, it's, it's not a coincidence that this picture of community comes right after Luke tells us in verse 31 that the people were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It's, it, it's not for no reason that Luke points out that the apostles were proclaiming the resurrection with great power in, in the very middle of our passage. This is not a normal human fellowship. This is the fellowship of people who have been joined to Christ and live in the power of his resurrection. This is a resurrected community. Remember what we said earlier, that, that the fuel for this fellowship, it, it comes from our fellowship with God. The relationship that, that we are brought into when we trust in Christ brings us in relation, into relationship with one another. Luke says that, that the full number of those who believed were one in heart and soul. These believers, there's a, a prerequisite, first of all, we can only be joined like this to, to others who believe. These believers were one. They were, they were joined together by the Holy Spirit. Unity comes before fellowship. Can't have fellowship without unity. And this, this kind of fellowship with one another is only possible because the believers were already joined together by the Holy Spirit. And this is why we are constantly told in Scripture to guard the unity that is ours already in Christ. This is the kind of paradox that, that the, the Bible has for us. You are all bound together, tighter than you know, so be unified. It's, it's, it's the paradox that, that we have to live with. It's, it's called the, the um, indicative and the imperative. The indicative tells us what we are. The imperative or the command tells us what to do. This is like, I have made you holy, so be holy. God says, I have joined you to each other by my spirit. So live in unity and in harmony with one another. Because, because where unity is sick, community suffers. Where unity isn't true, community is, is cheap. We don't do ourselves any favors by, by pretending or ignoring what makes us different. Remember that, that this community here in, in Acts chapter 4, this is made up of people who are from many different countries, people who speak multiple different languages, but what they have in common is stronger than what separates them. This community is, is a natural fruit of real fellowship with God. We, we call this a, a fruit because it naturally springs from a healthy plant, right? Paul, Paul talks about the Holy Spirit in, in Ephesians 4 as the thing which binds us together. And this same spirit that binds us, he says in the book of Galatians, produces fruit in our lives. And this fruit, Paul tells us, is, is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says that, that there are no laws against these characteristics because these characteristics are what, are what we are supposed to live out. And I often think of these characteristics as something just for myself to be, but, but each of these is actually pointed towards other people. Do I love others? Is there joy on my face when I see other people? Do I have peace 
in patience? Do I treat people with kindness? Am I good to others? Am I faithful or, or consistent in my relationships with people? Am I, am I gentle or self-controlled? This spirit produces fruit in our lives. And so when we think of this spirit in terms of a community, of course, the fruit that the spirit produces is fellowship. The power for fellowship with one another is found in our fellowship with God. And we, we, we cannot manufacture this kind of fellowship. It must be a, a manifestation of our fellowship with God, our relationship with him. Only in Jesus Christ can we see this kind of, of love, because only in Jesus Christ can, can, can we see an, an example of this. And only Jesus frees us to do this. Only when we see what, what Christ has done for us do we understand what love truly, truly is. And this is, this is how this kind of works. This is, this is the, the gospel. Jesus looks down from heaven and sees our sin. He sees that we are hopelessly tangled up in our sin, like, like fish caught in a net. Nothing that, that we could do can, can free us. And all of our attempts to, to get free only wrap the net tighter and tighter and until we are paralyzed, constricted, cannot move because of our, our sin. So Jesus, as, as God himself, he comes down into our space. He becomes human. So Jesus notices our need, first of all, and then he, he sets aside his, his rights. He clothes himself with our weaknesses, our flesh, and then he bears this weakness for us on the cross. Not only does he die for us on, our, on, on the cross to take away our sin, to, to pay the debt that we owe, to, to bear the penalty, our penalty, in his own body, but then he is, he is raised from the dead. He is resurrected so that we who are joined to him are also raised from our own death in sin and, and we walk in his new life. This is resurrection. This resurrection gives us an, an inheritance with Christ. This resurrection gives us a hope for the future because we have already died in Christ. We don't have to fear death because we know that we will live with Christ who was raised from the dead. And in perhaps one of the most beautiful places in, in the New Testament, and one of the most challenging, Paul describes Christ's work like this. <clears throat> he says in his letter to the Philippians, he, he encourages them. Actually, he, he commands them. This is a command. He says, have this mind among you, which is yours already in Christ Jesus. There's that indicative and imperative again. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, although he was in the form of God, he did not count this equality with God a thing to be grasped, as, as something to hold on to, but he made himself nothing and instead took the form of a servant. And, and being born in the likeness of men and, and being found in this human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This humility, this picture that we see of, of Jesus Christ is supposed to be the humility that we see in our own Christian communities. If you have been born again, you have been resurrected with Christ, and you live your life in the power of his resurrection. This is the energy and the power that we need. This resurrection is the fuel for our fellowship. 
Only when we are joined to Christ can we follow his example in seeing the needs of others, letting go of our personal possessions, and then meeting them in their need. If we follow the example of Christ, we must die to ourselves. Because isn't this what our passage back in Acts says? That no one said that any of his own possessions was his own, but instead they, they shared all things. You have to actually die to yourself for this to be true fellowship, because you can go through the motions. You could, you could sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and still not experience this kind of fellowship with others if you haven't first dealt with your real issue, which is, which is your, your, your sin, your, your state of relationship with God before Christ. The community we see in Acts is a resurrected community. Oftentimes we forget that resurrection requires death. Death to your sin. Death to your desires. In, in, in many ways, a, a death to your identity. But on, only so that your identity can be resurrected and given new, real life. You know, we are, we are told by this world around us that our identity is, is what we make it. That, that we get to choose who we get to be. But as Christians, we must first identify with Christ. If we don't identify him with his death and burial and, and resurrection, whatever other characteristics we may possess, we, we must ultimately um, put them underneath our identity in Christ. All of these other characteristics must serve our identity as Christians and not the other way around. The issue is not what you possess, but who possesses you. Do you hold on to your life as if it was yours? Or have you given it to Christ for him to use it the way that best supports you and those around you? This, this early church, they, they devoted themselves to one another. The fruit of their fellowship with one another was fueled by their relationship with God. The, the sense of unity because of their relationship with Christ was, was so much stronger than whatever could have divided them. And they had things to divide them. Let us not forget that, that this is the work of God. This is a work of the Spirit of God who is at work in the hearts and the minds of believers so that they become united to one another. And this beautiful example of men and women putting down their own desires into the grave, putting their own desires to death, so that the community might have life. It's just a, a beautiful, concrete, real picture of the resurrection. What would it take for our community to be a picture of the resurrection? What would it take for our community to, to live as though it was dead and had come back to life? You know, building this kind of community takes, takes time, it takes energy, it takes money. How could you, as an individual, live the resurrection in a simple and profoundly practical way this week? What, what do you have that, that you could give to those in need? Let me just say, I, I, I know I'm really you know, preaching to the choir here. Moving, moving here among you all and Snell's Beach has been a humbling experience. You all give so freely of, of each of these things. You, you, you sacrifice your time, your energy, your money for, for one another more than I've seen in a long time. I've seen more giving and receiving among this church than I have in, in, in quite a long time. 
And something that, that the Lord has been pressing on my heart as I've been studying this week and writing this week and, and thinking for the last few months about this series is, is the idea that, that my growth as a Christian can be seen in, in what I give to those around me. For, for me, one of the things that I have learned to protect, maybe a better word is, is, is to hoard away, is my time. When I was at, at university, I, I had work. I had uh, school assignments, I had class, of course, and, and friends, most importantly, my, my marriage. And while each one of these takes time, and I need, to, I need to make sure that I'm doing each one of these things well, I found that I could, I could go the extra step and be really stingy with my time. It was really easy for me to just throw money at something. I found it much harder to give an hour of my time. What is the hardest thing for you to give up? Is it your time? Is it your energy, your, your money? As we continue to, to walk into this new year, I want to encourage you to spend time in prayer, asking God to reveal how you might be used among our church or among the wider Christian community to testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life with action and with power. But I, but I, I beg you, don't attempt this if you haven't, if you haven't experienced the resurrection yet. Don't, don't give your money away if you haven't given yourself to Christ. Don't, don't labor with time if, if you haven't labored in prayer, making sure that, that you have received Jesus Christ and all that he offers you. Because you, you will burn yourself out. You will empty your bank account. You, you will find yourself empty at the end of the day if you attempt to, to give without having been given to. You know, Jesus Christ supplies our every need for life and for godliness, Second Peter tells us. So, so first, get Christ, and then give. I found myself extremely challenged by the devotion of this early church to one another. The, the simple sacrifice of, of daily life among them. So I, I want to ask if you would join me over the next few months in prayer that, that we might become more and more a resurrected community. That, that we might be a people who are looked upon with great favor because of the way that we love one another. That we might not just be good at giving time and energy and money, but also giving grace and patience. Being a people of, of self-control and unity in the midst of diversity. Let us all pursue the power for this community, asking God to give us the energy so that we might be a picture of his resurrection. Find for yourself the fuel in, in fellowship with God so that we all together might bear this fruit of fellowship in the way that we love one another. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you today for your word. We thank you today for, for the power of your spirit who works mightily in us. God, we thank you that you have, you have called us, if we are in Christ, from the kingdom of darkness, from under the thumb of, of the, the ruler of this world, the one who, who, keeps, who keeps us in the dark without you, who keeps us from seeing the light of Christ. You have, you have taken us from his domain of darkness and transferred us into the, the kingdom of your beloved son. Lord, I, I thank you that, that you have given us a new identity. You have you have marked us 
You have written our name down in the Lamb's book of life and, and, in, and with the Lamb's blood, and no one can erase that. Lord, would you help us to live with the fruit of your fellowship in our lives? Would you empower us to, to love one another, to give grace to one another, to, to seek after those who are in need? God, would you open our eyes to where you would, you would have us go? Would you, would you take our feet where you would have them? Take our hands and let them move at the impulse of, of your love. Because we know that, that your love is, is farther reaching than ours. It sees deeper into the hearts and the needs of others than ours does. So God, we, we, we rely on, on the compass of your love to direct us where you would have us serve, where would you, you would have us give, where you would have us love one another. God, we ask, as always, that, that, that you would build your church. We thank you that you are in control. Lord, would you give us grace and peace for one another? And would you guide us as, as we look forward to, to meeting again sometime in the future? Would you give, um, would you give the, the officials in this country wisdom, guidance? Lord, we ask that you would open their eyes, see the truth of your gospel. We thank you for the, the people who belong to you who are in positions of power. Would you give them uh, favor, Lord, so that they might present the, the virtues of your kingdom, the, the message of your son, uh, even in that, that political sphere. God, we, we thank you that we don't have to hope in this present government, but we can wait for the government of your son who will reign forever and ever, as King of kings and as Lord of lords. Could you come quickly, Lord Jesus? Amen.